0: Uh, About a year ago now, but before we moved up to Fulwood, I visited the family of a lady who had died. Uh, She was 92 when she had died, and she had lived for most of her life in the same village, and she'd been part of the church there for several decades. Uh, Most latterly, she was a regular member of uh, that church's equivalent of our Friday club. Anyway, as I chatted with the family... Uh, we were discussing what passage from the Bible they might like to have read during her funeral service. And I suggested a couple that point to the hope that Christians have. Oh, but auntie didn't believe in all that, came the response. And then they explained that in just the last few months of her life, she had come to doubt and then to deny the very existence of God. And why? It was because she thought that the idea of resurrection, of there being a future place where Christians would live, so unbelievable that like a house of cards, everything else toppled down around her. 92 years. And yet because of that, she didn't finish the race. It was not a happy funeral for me to take. Oh, there can be happy funerals. I hope that you've been at one. Of course, they're still tainted by sadness and sorrow, uh, death and separation, uh, the lost years, the missed opportunities. And yet they are overarched with the resurrection hope of which 1 Corinthians 15 is full. Turn to it with me, page 1156 in the Bibles. It is an important passage for you. If, like that lady you find our resurrection too hard to believe, too good to be true, too weird to imagine. Because there were people in Corinth just like that. Have a look at verse 35 there. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? It's a question said with the the scorn of the sceptic. This is no genuine inquiry but rather a mocking taunt aimed at the Corinthian Christians. You don't believe in resurrection, do you? You think old Aunt Maud's suddenly going to pop out of her grave, do you? Frankenstein, eat your heart out. Anyway, she's been dead for years now. The body's gone. The worms have had their way. And yet to those who find the Christian faith, the, the Christian hope, the fact that we will be raised from the dead too much to believe Paul says how foolish you are and in this passage today he first shows that our resurrection is plausible second that it will be wonderful and third that in Jesus it is already underway and in a moment we'll consider it under those headings but before we do remember that this letter isn't addressed to the sceptic to try to convince him or her to believe no, instead it's primarily written to the Christian who is on the verge of giving up. Do you remember last week we looked at the start and end of this chapter and saw that it's all about encouraging people to stand firm. Have a look again at verses 1 and 2. Now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And the same is true at the end, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm so that your faith is not in vain. This is a chapter that recognises the pressure that we will face, the pressure that we are facing to give up on the Christian life, to to reject it in our heads, to wander away from it in our lives. And Paul's antidote to that is understanding the resurrection. When we are clear on our future, then we will have the strength to withstand the struggles and sacrifices of the Christian life at present. And yet my fear is that we don't give our future much thought. We let our hope remain rather vague in our minds. A couple of years ago, on our summer holiday to France, we booked a cottage with my parents, and Emma was with us. Uh, she was going to have her first birthday while we were there. And we did some, some thinking ahead of what we'd like to do for that couple of weeks. And so we bought a book, um, giving some details of the region. We got hold of a map so that we could see what there was. Uh, I even rooted out an old French phrase book, that's not easy to say. French phrase book. When we were moving up here to Sheffield, uh, it was for, well, it, indefinitely, but many years, God willing, and so we, we got lots of books. Uh, there's a book on Sheffield, a, a map again, a couple of books of walks, uh, books on, on the peaks, um, lots of things. We even got sent a book on, on the Sheffield dialect. I better not. Um, see, two weeks... We've got a couple of books. Many years, lots of books. You and I, if we trust Jesus, have eternity in the new creation to look forward to. How many books on it do you have? I know, it's, it's not about books. 1 Corinthians 15 doesn't tell us to go and buy a book. Although I think as we develop our essential Christian library, we'll make sure that there's something there on the new creation. But the point is that our future hope is supposed to be one of our greatest incentives to keep going today. It's not just about the future, it's about tomorrow. When temptation hits again on that persistent sin and the devil or the world whispers in your ear, why follow God? Give in, just this once. It's not that we don't believe that Jesus will return and that we will enjoy eternal life, I take it that that we do. But because we don't dwell on it as we should, because we don't think about the specifics of what we are looking forward to, the resurrection does not motivate us to stand firm as it should. In the words of 1 Thessalonians, our other reading today, our endurance should be inspired by our hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so to us, this passage says, don't be foolish, stand firm because our resurrection is plausible, it will be wonderful, and in Jesus it is already underway. First then, stand firm because our resurrection is plausible. And here Paul takes us on a trip through nature and through space to show that resurrection is really not so hard to believe. Have a look at verse 36 there. How foolish, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just the seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed he gives its own body. You see, we're used to seeing uh, one thing changing into another it happens every time a seed is planted in the ground uh, helen and emma a couple of weeks ago now planted some vegetable seeds in pots on our kitchen windowsill and yesterday the first pea poked its way through into daylight the cause of much excitement uh, emma was quite pleased too uh, the seed has been transformed whether or not we get any peas it is highly doubtful but we've certainly got rid of the seeds they've been changed and it is the god of creation who stands behind that process how much you know about that process will depend on the level of your biological expertise but it is god who stands behind it who set it up who makes it work who sustains the world by his powerful hand who in matthew 6:29 clothes the grass of the field do you think it unbelievable that god will give his people new bodies that he will change us from one thing into another thing? Well, then take a look around you. He is doing it all the time with other things. Indeed, he makes sure that everything is fit for its purpose, for its environment. So, verse 39, all flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another the sun has one kind of splendor the moon another and the stars another and star differs from star in splendor so will it be with the resurrection of the dead god makes everything fit for its environment in the animal kingdom uh, we are fit for life in the city that the squirrel is fit for life in the forest the trout fit for life in the stream the swallow fit for life in the air and pity the creature that is moved out of its natural habitat and placed in another a trout does not do well in the forest the same is true in astronomy as well verses 40 and 41 that there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies earth, moon, sun, stars bodies that differ in composition and brilliance but each doing its job The point is this, we have a new environment to look forward to, a change of habitat as we are going from this creation to the new creation. And so naturally God will provide us with new bodies fit for purpose. He makes sure everything else is fit for its environment. He's not going to stop now. the resurrection is plausible. Well, on the one hand, that goes some way to answering the sceptic. The person who thinks belief in resurrection and in the world to come, it is ridiculous. The stuff of fairy tales. Because in truth, we already see analogies of the Christian hope in the world around us. The transformation of the seed, the careful design of different created beings for their different settings both show that it is perfectly reasonable to expect that God will do the same for us. In fact, the sceptic can only find the resurrection implausible because they start out by rejecting all notion of God. And if that's where you start, well, no wonder you never get anywhere. So stand firm, Christian. Don't become a fool by abandoning your hope, the hope that inspires endurance. Don't fear the scorn of the skeptic because the resurrection is plausible. And then secondly, stand firm because our resurrection is wonderful. Have a look at verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Here, Then we see the contrast between our bodies now and our bodies then. The transformation that will take place when Jesus returns and the new creation begins. First contrast, the body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is intrinsic to our bodies that they perish. Our brain cells diminish in number. Our hair turns grey if it stays in that long. Our skin develops wrinkles. The little injuries that you shrug off in a day when you are young last for weeks as you get older. And whilst the average age of men and women is around 75 to 80 years now in Britain when they die, The life expectancy of our teeth, our knees and hips, our hearing, our mobility are all shorter than that. Like perishable goods from the supermarket, we each have a best before date. (laughs) But not so in the new creation. For there our bodies will be imperishable. Oh, we'll still depend on God for our existence, for our for our life and breath, but there won't be any of the decay that we have to endure today. The aches and pains, the the poor vision and hearing, the illness and disease, all gone. And this is not a mere recapturing of our youth, but something far better than we have ever experienced. But the contrast goes on. We are sown in dishonour, but raised in glory. Uh, Dishonour here, I don't think, is an ethical term, but rather points to the humiliation of death, of a man or woman reduced to a corpse. I remember a friend who's a nurse telling me about the first time she had to deal with the body of someone who had died and the process they have to go through in the hospital to to stop decomposition and bloating. I'll I'll spare you the details. I I think she spared me some. But all, all that will change. A body sown in dishonour will be raised in glory, wonderful to behold, amazing to own. Oh, we are sown in weakness but raised in power. The frailty of death, of the, the remaining days of life, the last moments of life where we fail even to draw breath will all be changed as we are raised in power. How powerful? I'm not sure. We, we won't be omnipotent. I don't know how fast I will be able to run the 100 metres or whether I'll be able to sound the bell at one of those test your strength stands at a fair. But I will have power enough for everything that God has for me to do. I will be fit for purpose. And then the final contrast. We are sown a natural body but raised a spiritual body. Now the terms here are perhaps a little confusing. Remember that both the natural body and the spiritual body are physical bodies. The transformation here is not about our composition, but rather about our orientation, what we will live for in these two different worlds. In this fallen and corrupted world, we have natural bodies, our own natures dominated by sin and selfishness, as though sin is hardwired into us. But then there is the new world, or rather this world made new, where all will be perfect and sinless and so too will our bodies. All our thoughts and actions incline now towards God. That is where we will be spiritual, physical, yes, but spiritual. I think it's the same point that is made in places like Ezekiel 36 that we've seen in our evening series. Let me... Read a couple of verses to you from there. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now, that is a promise which, of course, is partially fulfilled today, as God has sent the Holy Spirit to live in the heart of believers but it will reach its ultimate fruition in the new creation where where we will be perfected, living every moment or every hour to do what pleases and honours God and given the bodies that will enable us to do so. Stand firm then because our resurrection will be wonderful. On the one hand, don't let the bodies we have to put up with today leave you in despair or frustration. It's easy, isn't it, to tie our sense of self-worth and self-identity with the way we view our physical bodies. It might be that we despair as we compare our bodies to those of others, the Olympian, the cover girl, the film star. It might be that we despair as we compare our bodies with the way they used to be, the limitations and frailties that old age brings, Uh, that we feel stop us from being who we truly are, that stop us from doing the things that have become part of who we are. Perhaps you think you're a shadow of your former self. But don't despair, says this passage. You're not a shadow of your former self. You're a shadow of your future self. And even the strongest, most gorgeous, fittest physical specimens alive today are dishonourable compared to the glory you will have when Jesus returns. And it's not just that we will have new bodies when Jesus returns, but that we will be part of an entire new creation. And so we mustn't cling to the things of this world, as though they were all that there is. How many people find themselves in a midlife crisis, because they suddenly realise the things that they won't do in life, When you're young, anything seems possible, but each year we narrow down our options. And so people make lists, don't they, of things they must do before they die. Things to experience, uh, things to see. Do you have one? I don't. Oh, I have a list. I'd love to see Yellowstone Park and Table Mountain, to climb Kilimanjaro, to see the Great Barrier Reef. But I know I don't need to do those things before I die because they will be part of the new creation of this world made new, made better and then I'll have all the time of eternity to visit and rejoice in God's power and glory. In fact, those things will be so much better then that there will be people standing next to me in the new creation who went to visit them in this. And yet who still will be saying, wow, this is amazing. Don't despair. And don't hold on to the things of this world. Instead, stand firm. Don't move away from your hope and therefore miss out on this amazing future. Keep going. Keep trusting in Jesus. Don't let go of him and start clinging on to the idols of this world. He is offering you what you need. He is offering you your heart's desire. Stand firm. Yes, it's tough. Yes, it's a struggle. But it is not in vain. Stand firm because our resurrection is wonderful. And then finally, stand firm because our resurrection is underway. Look at verse 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so were those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness. Of the man from heaven. It's picking up on what we saw last week in verses 22 and 23 that Christ is the first fruits of our resurrection. And just as today we are all like Adam in his natural body, so on that day we will all be like Jesus in his spiritual body. Jesus then has already shown us something of what our future holds the first rule of thumb when you are daydreaming about the new creation is to think about our risen Lord, the first fruits of our resurrection. So, for instance, will we eat food? Well, Jesus eats some broiled fish, doesn't he? So, uh, yes. Will we remember the people we knew in this life? Well, Jesus specifically appears to and calls by name and knows his friends and followers and reminds them of the things he taught them. So, yes. Will we be recognisable? Well, a bit harder, perhaps. Uh, Mary doesn't recognise Jesus at first, does she? Though she has got tears in her eyes. The disciples on the road to Emmaus don't recognise Jesus at first, Uh, but then we're told that they were kept from recognising him, which I guess suggests that they would naturally have done so. And others have no problem in, in seeing Jesus and recognizing him. And of course, he carries the scars on his hands and feet, which mean that even doubting Thomas is brought to his knees. So, well, we'll be different, but recognizable? Yes. The resurrection is underway, it's already begun. Some of our questions have already been answered, although though obviously not all. So stand firm. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Indeed, we even taste it now. Verse 45, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. Jesus brings new life to his people, a new life which is consummated in the new creation, but which begins the moment we put our trust in him. We have a wonderful future to look forward to, yes, but Some of the benefits of it we can enjoy now. It's like the smell of your Sunday lunch that hits your noses and is a pleasure to the senses, even though the true meal lies ahead. Well, so too in Christ today, we can enjoy God's presence with us uh, through the Holy Spirit, God's power at work in us and through us, God's pleasure as he calls us his children We can know joy and peace even in the struggling and suffering of this life. So, stand firm. Keep going. It is not in vain. Let your hope inspire endurance. Because our resurrection is plausible, it is wonderful. And it is underway. Let's pray together.